says, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and then returned again to Damascus. And after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed before God, I do not lie. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But they were hearing only, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. And Father, we just pause and ask for the help of your Holy Spirit now to prepare us and to, Lord, ready us to be able to receive what the voice of you, the living God, would want to say to us through this portion of your living and powerful and inspired word you've given to us. Help us now to continue in our worship as we submit our heart, soul, and mind and spirit to the truth of your word. Please speak, Lord, now by your spirit, we ask expectantly in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, how wonderful to know that life change is possible. To be able to have the awareness and the recognition that no life, despite its current condition, is outside of the reach of the transforming power of grace. You know, grace is that biblical term which refers to the undeserved kindness and favor and help of God. It speaks of how though we are unworthy and undeserving, God yet still chooses to bless and be kind to us. The word transform speaks of making a thorough and a dramatic change, taking something or someone and making it become very different. And look, it is the grace of God in and through Jesus Christ that brings about powerful transformation in a person's life. And Paul was the poster child for that very thing. If there were an individual who was the perfect poster child for the power of the grace of God to transform a life, it was indeed the Apostle Paul. He would be the perfect example of that. Uh, he refers here in our text to his conversion experience and how he was saved by the Lord Jesus Christ and changed. And even more than that, even then called to serve the Lord as a pastor and an apostle. And he emphasizes this and how his personal experience 
with grace brought a transformation to his life. He speaks of who he was formerly and who he was now changed and transformed into. Remember the backdrop. Paul had just expressed his astonishment to these Galatian believers who he hasn't seen for some time since he brought the gospel there originally established churches in that region. And he's expressed astonishment because they had experienced the grace of God and salvation. Their lives had been transformed and changed powerfully. And yet Paul was saddened to recognize and hear that they were now turning away from their relationship with the Lord to follow after rules and regulations and spiritual rituals and things that were, in a sense, nothing more than legalistic ideas of false teachers who had come in among them. And they were finding themselves drifting into legalism. And again, as we said last time, legalism refers to really just the observance of special requirements as well as special restrictions. That is, you must do these certain things, and these are things that we don't do in order to be spiritual. Or those who do these things or those who don't do these things are holy and those who do the opposite, they're not really holy or righteous or spiritual. That's what legalism is. And it diminishes the good news of grace. Uh, That a fact that it means that we can be made right with God and righteous before God by the work of Jesus Christ alone. And nothing else makes us right or spiritual before God. And Paul warned these believers that there were some who wanted to pervert, he said, the gospel of grace through Christ. Remember, he gave that strong warning at the end of our section last time there in verse 9. Paul says, as we've said before, so now I say to you again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Again, the authentic biblical gospel is a sacred thing again paul writing to the romans would say to them it is the power of god for salvation to anyone who's willing to believe it for themselves and this news this good news of the gospel that god's offering a free gift to sinful humanity in their undeserving condition because of the finished work of his son jesus christ they can be forgiven of sin and have the hope of heaven This is God's plan from heaven to rescue sinners. And Paul said, look, that is sacred. That is something that is so crucial, so valuable. He wants to emphasize the gospel's value and importance. And that's why he goes on, if you look with me in verse 11, to say to them, but I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it, he says, verse 12, from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. So Paul, you notice he says they're brethren. He's referring to his spiritual family, and he wants his fellow spiritual family members to realize that this message, this gospel that he had preached to them, that they would be assured was something that was the word of the Lord and not just ideas of men that that they came up with. Paul says, I want you to be confident, brethren, that this message that I shared with you, it is a message that comes straight 
from the throne of God. It's a message that comes from heaven itself. It's the message of the wonderful plan that God carried out, not that man devised and then spread all around amongst humanity. He says this gospel, again, the word gospel, remember, just is a term that means good news. It's the announcement of the good news of what God has done. And the gospel is actually defined specifically right in the scripture for us. When Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, being led of the Holy Spirit, he said these words to define the gospel. He said, moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which you also received and in which you stand and by which you are saved. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So again, there's the simplicity of the gospel defined for us by the word of God. That God seeing us as unworthy sinners who all fail and fall short of the standard of what it takes to be righteous and enter into heaven, that God looking at us as unworthy sinners in his love, though we deserve eternal punishment and separation from God, created a way for us to be forgiven of our sin, to have the hope and assurance of eternal life after we die, to be able to experience a relationship with him. And the way he did that was by allowing his son Jesus to accomplish a work on our behalf, becoming man dying for the sins of humanity, raising from the power of death, conquering sin, death, Satan, and hell to offer us freely forgiveness of the guilt of everything we've done wrong, to offer to us freely the gift to be able to go to heaven and be assured of that reality and to be able to have a relationship with God as long as we simply believe that truth for ourselves. As long as we're willing to believe these realities spiritually for ourselves and receive them, this is a gift of grace that God offers to us. It cannot happen by good works. It must happen and only happens by the work of God bringing this salvation and change into our lives. Jesus himself declared it most clearly in those famous words that we know, John three sixteen and 17. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes, that's all, believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And he went on to say that God did not send his son into this world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Salvation through Jesus, by grace alone, through faith alone, and the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And Paul says here, that's the gospel. And look, that's good news. That's why it's called the gospel, because that's good news. Anything else isn't good news. And Paul says it's that good news, he says here, verse 11, which was preached by me to you. Again, when we read the word preached, oftentimes we just envision, you know, Billy Graham standing behind a pulpit, you know, and, and proclaiming something to large crowds. Well, I mean, that is an aspect of preaching, but the word preach biblically just means to make proclamation of news to announce news so that people can hear it and then respond to it for their own welfare and benefit and and paul says here i shared this news so that you might experience what god wants for you to be gracious to you to help you 
And look, it's beautiful to be reminded of. It's not just the Apostle Paul or pastors or evangelists who have been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel or proclaiming the good news of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, we as Christians, all of us who are followers of Christ, have been, pro, have been commanded to proclaim this news. Matthew chapter 28, we refer to the Great Commission. Jesus says, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. Mark chapter 16, again, same thing. We find Jesus saying to his disciples, his followers, all of them, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Again, something we're all called to do. The language literally is as you are going into all the world, your world, as you're going into your world, if there's someone nearby you who's alive, they're a candidate to hear the gospel message of salvation. Anyone. And he says, just proclaim this. Look for opportunities to steer conversations in that direction, to share. You know, we, in a sense, you might say, we have the free cure to cancer, to the cancer of sin, right? The free cure to the cancer of sin that we might share that with other people. You know, let, let me just ask briefly, in this room, whether it be yourself or someone you know, a loved one connected to, how many people have had any contact with cancer? Okay, could you imagine if we had the free cure to the disease of cancer? How motivated we'd be to share that, but yet we have the free cure to the cancer of sin, something much worse, not just physically terminal, but eternally destructive and a lot of times i'm too scared to tell somebody or i'm too selfish to stop what i'm doing to think about trying to tell somebody and he says here look this gospel i preach to you which we as well can preach paul wants to uphold its importance and value and sacredness so he describes his own experience that's what he's going to do here he describes his own experience how it came to him and he says look this gospel he says that i preached to you it, it came from divine revelation from Jesus himself. You notice what he says there in our text. He says, verse 11, it was not according to man. In other words, what Paul wants to indicate, look, this message that I shared, it wasn't just a, a group of men who came up with some human ideas that wanted to establish a new spiritual sect. And so they thought, okay, well, let's come up with some idea. Paul said, no, it's not something that's just the establishment of some new religious sect, men-made ideas. That's not what this is. And Paul says, nor did I receive it from man or was I taught it by man. In other words, he's saying the origin of the message of the gospel is not man-made. It's not just something where people came up with their own religious ideas and concepts of what it means to be spiritual or how to have an experience that's spiritual somehow where one man comes up with some ideas and then he seeks to recruit more people by teaching others and to gain a following. And look, that does happen. That does happen in many deceptive ways, but that's not the case with the gospel of grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. This gospel message that we have heard that's changed our lives, it is of divine origin. It's not something that originated with man. It is something, ladies and gentlemen, that came from God's heart, from God's mind in heaven, a message that is intended to transform the lives of people. And Paul says, my personal salvation experience with the grace of Christ that was shown to me, 
he says, it led to me proclaiming that news to you because of so important as it was. He says, at the end of verse 12, he says, I didn't receive it from a man. He says, I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul had a personal divine encounter and received this from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It came by or from Jesus. He had a direct encounter with the Lord who personally broke into Paul's life and revealed it to him. And powerfully, the grace of the Lord transformed Paul's life. We see this experience described in Acts chapter 9, where it tells us as Saul himself in his past life was uttering out threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. This is what he was. And it says he went to the high priests and requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, asking for their cooperation to arrest any followers of the way that he found. And he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. And as he was approaching Damascus on that mission, a light from heaven shone around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? To which Saul, humbled and broken, said, Who are you, Lord Curios, Master? And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Paul had this divine revelation. Jesus himself revealed this reality of grace and forgiveness to him. And then beyond that, the same experience, Paul also was then commissioned to serve, as he'll talk about in the next few verses. Acts 26, Paul, describing more of this encounter with the Lord, speaks of how Jesus gave him his assignment, that Jesus said to him these words, Saul, get on your feet, for I've appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and witness. You are to tell the world that you have, what you have seen and what I will show you in the future. It's to the Gentiles who I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. See, Paul said, not only did Jesus save me, he showed me clearly what I was to go out and then proclaim to others about how they need to be liberated from the power of Satan and turn to God, how they can receive forgiveness of sins by being sanctified by faith in me. So Paul's trying to emphasize to these believers here, he's saying, look, this is why the purity of this gospel message is so crucial because it changed my life. And it can change the life of anyone that it's purity complained or explained to in a way where they can grasp it for themselves. He says, you can't diminish the value of this. It is the power of God to transform people and to not share it with them or diminish it or add anything else to it. He says, it's eternally threatening. Now, to further emphasize the power of the Lord's grace to transform Paul says to them, verse 13, referring now to his testimony of this experience, he says, you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure, and I tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism, he says, beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. So Paul reminds them 
of how most were very familiar of the former life of this rabbi, Saul of Tarsus, who he once was. And most knew of his former life. His background was pretty intense. I mean, he had quite the backstory to who he used to be in his past life. It made him, therefore, seem like an impossible candidate for change. And sometimes we feel like we know people like that. That is an impossible candidate for change. That was, that was Saul of Tarsus who became Paul the Apostle. He had an intense background. Paul says here in these verses, I was radically committed to observing the ways of Judaism. I was a deeply religious man, he reminds them. Do you see what he says in verse 14? He says, I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. So regarding his past conduct, he says in Judaism, he says, look, I wasn't just somebody who claimed this is what my religion is, but then didn't really observe it or practice it, right? We all know people who've done that or who do that, and maybe we did that. Oh, I'm a this, and they claim what their spiritual you know, connection is or their religion is, but they don't really practice it. They just kind of claim it, but they don't live it out and they don't practice it. Paul's trying to say here, look, when I claim to be connected to Judaism, I wasn't just making professions. He says, I was a strict adherent. He says, I lived those things out. I was exceedingly zealous, Paul says, for every ritual, every feast, every tradition, every requirement, every aspect of the law of Moses and all the traditions of men that were added on top of that. He said, I strictly with zeal adhered to those things. And he says, I was progressing beyond anybody my age in how devoted I was to these things. Paul in Philippians chapter 3 says, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh or human work, he says, I far more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, the strictest sect of observance, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness, which is in the law, I was found blameless." faultless. He said, I crossed every T, I dotted every I. I was meticulous in my rigid adherence to the ways of what I believed was right spiritually. And because Paul was so devout in his former conduct of Judaism, that's why he despised anything else that he saw contrary to that. That's why he says in verse 13 there, for you've heard of my former conduct. And he says, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it that is paul hated this new way of people who were now jesus followers paul despised anything to do with this reality of jews and gentiles together worshiping and it's all because they're now following this jesus of nazareth who's pulling people away from the Mosaic customs and the ways of Judaism that we've had for all these years. And he hated this new spiritual group called the church. And Paul says, so much that I hated. He says, I fiercely, he says, persecuted the church. Look what he says. In fact, he says, I tried to destroy it. Paul says, I wasn't just disliking what they were doing. He says, I was actively seeking to ruin anything I could that had to do with Christians in the church. Paul deeply hated Jesus at one point. He despised Christians. 
He had deep animosity for this thing called the church and was an activist to destroy. He wanted to eradicate this thing called the church, and he did many, many evil things. We saw in our study in the book of Acts, he was hunting Christians down. I mean, he was hunting them down like dangerous terrorists. And he was going around arresting them and brutally torturing them, leading them to be imprisoned and even put to death. Now, listen, though it is hard to fathom, yet this is who the Lord decided that he wanted to show grace to. Now, to me, that's a mind blower. When you genuinely consider who Paul was and what he was doing and what his former life was and the things that he was guilty of, and yet this is who the Lord decided. I want to be gracious to him. I want to be kind to him. I want to change his life. Paul says, that is who I was and where I was at in my former life. Look at verse 15. He says, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But he says, I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So Paul here is speaking of his personal experience, certainly with salvation and what happened in his life. But more than that, how the Lord showed him grace so far that he then even gave him things to do afterwards. And he's referring to that now as he begins to carry on in his communication. First of all, his personal experience with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that brought salvation into him is referred to in verses 15 to 16. That because it pleased God, he set Paul's life apart, called him through grace revealed himself to him and determined to use Paul. And as Paul is here clearly referring, no doubt, to his personal experience of becoming a Christian, a follower of Christ, experiencing salvation, spiritual conversion, notice with me, if you would, some things he indicates about his own personal experience of salvation. First of all, take note, Paul says in verses 15 and 16 here, he says, all of that happened, my conversion, he says, because it pleased God. Because it pleased God. It pleased God, he said, to save my soul, despite who I was and where my heart was for so long and how far off track I was in doing what I was doing, despite the fact that I was being so rebellious towards God's plan. Even religiously rebellious, Paul was. Paul wasn't just being a rebel as far as you know, going out and doing rotten and carnal things that we think. Are. Paul's rebellion was, my way of religion is right, and I have nothing to do with this follow Jesus thing. That, that was Paul's rebellion. He sincerely thought he was serving God and what he was doing. And Paul says, despite the fact that for so long, he says... I was, you know, being rebellious and I was hurting so many people. Paul was, was helping people be put to death. And Paul says, despite all I did in my past, instead of it pleasing God to punish me for what I deserved, instead of God taking pleasure in punishing me for my wrongdoing, he says, God somehow found pleasure in being able to reach me, in being able to open my eyes and to intervene in my life and rescue me. 
You know, it's amazing to think, Paul says, when it pleased God. I mean, God just patiently endured with Paul. He allowed Paul to exercise his free will and to behave in so many wrong ways for so long to reject him and spit in the face of Jesus. And he was patient with Paul while he lived wrong. He was merciful while he was completely off the rails doing the wrong thing. Paul says, but then when it pleased God. The idea is Paul saying, when God said, okay, enough is enough now. I'm done with that. When it pleased God and the timing was right, though Paul was in that condition, it actually brought God pleasure to then intervene in Paul's life and forgive him and change him and transform him. I mean, it's just, it's hard to fathom, but you know what? That's what testifies to the extent of the love of God. That God has that, that's why Paul would write things to the Ephesians I pray that you might come to know the height and the width and the breadth and the depth. And Paul's thinking, is there any other direction further I could go? Of the love of God, he says, wait a minute, which passes understanding. It passes human understanding. It's so immense and incredible. God found enjoyment in being able to change Paul. God found pleasure. It pleased God to save him, to open his eyes, to make him a different person, to give his life a new course and a new direction. And you know what, folks? This morning, God shows partiality to no man. And despite your former life before you genuinely knew Jesus Christ, that's your story too. That despite what you had done and where you were and how you were living, it pleased God to save you. It pleased God to adopt you as his child, to bring you into his eternal family. It brought pleasure to his heart. And please let us never forget it greatly pleases God whenever he can do this still for any other person. And you know what? Maybe in this room this morning, perhaps that's you today. Perhaps you're here today and you have never genuinely entered into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And you're thinking, well, you know, I I mean, I can sit in a church service, but you don't know who I am or what I've done or what my former life is or what I'm involved in now. Listen. It would please God to make you his child. It would please God to forgive all of your sin and to love on you and to change your life and give you a new directory and to give you the assurance of eternal life. That would bring God pleasure. It pleases God for you and I as Christians too, folks, whenever we go out and we preach this gospel to people who aren't saved. Do you want to please God this week? Tell somebody about Jesus. Because that pleases God to see people get saved. And whenever we share Jesus with people, we're doing something that pleases God. Paul also mentions in verses 15 and 16 about his salvation, that it was all due to God's grace being extended to him as a needy recipient. Not only to please God, it was all about the grace of God being extended. Do you see what Paul says in verse 15? He says, I know I was saved. Verse 15, he says, through his Grace. I have those three words underlined. Through his grace. Paul said, my life was set apart by a gracious act of God. By a gracious extension of God's kindness. And he says, he's the one that allowed me to experience salvation, though I deserve nothing of what I have. And Paul here almost kind of describes how this happened from the moment of his physical birth, back when he was in the womb, to the day of his spiritual birth, the day he was finally born again. And met Jesus. And think about this again. Paul says he set me apart from my mother's womb. 
In other words, what Paul's trying to convey here is he's saying, God knew everything about me, who I was. He knew everything about Paul's life, what he was going to do, the rebel he would be for a while. He knew every grievous mistake that he would make in his life. He knew every wrong thing that he would do, how many years he would live in correctly. God knew all of Paul's backstory before he ever got busy making mistakes. God knew everything about him. And though God knew everything about him, despite all that, God still extended grace to save Paul. He still chose Paul. And not only did he choose him, but Paul says, it pleased God to separate me from my mother's womb to do what he planned for me. From the time of the womb, God already said, yeah, I know what your whole story is going to be, but I still want you to be my child. I still want you to ultimately know me and have a relationship with me. You know, speaking of this amazing grace, Paul says in the book of Ephesians to the believers there, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in our relationship with Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Peter writing says a similar thing. He says that we've been elect according to foreknowledge of God. That is God in foreknowing everything about you and everything that you would do. Says, I still want you to be my child. I still want you to experience my forgiveness. I still want you on my team. I'm picking you to be on my team. I want you to be my servant. I want you to be with me forever and eternity. Look, if that don't make you feel incredibly secure... No Christian genuinely really needs struggle with the battle of insecurity. We get caught up in insecurity on a human level. Oh, well, they rejected me or I'm not getting acceptance here. Or I'm struggling with insecurity. Look, do you know how much acceptance you are accepted in the beloved? God picked you. God wants you. God loves you. Jesus has accepted you. And is pleased with your life. What a wonderful thing to be able to have that blessed assurance, knowing everything about us, that that's the heart of God through his grace. And even though all that we were doing, what we were doing before we became a Christian, his grace was enduring with me patiently, let me exhaust all my mistakes and failures. And Paul says, still, despite what I was doing, he was showing incredible grace. And at the right timing, when it pleased God, when it pleased God, through his grace, he called me, redirected my life. You know, again, that's the story of all of our lives. He found that unique way, did he not, in your life, just like he did in mine, that unique way to call you through his grace. Maybe it was being raised in a Christian family. That was the unique way he called you through his grace. Maybe it was letting you be raised in a Christian family and then making you realize, but you still ain't spiritual. You're sinful like everybody else. And that was how he called you through his grace. Maybe it was you had to run down this trail or do, but, but he knew just how to call you through his grace to get your attention, to bring you into that relationship with him. And Paul says, God did all this because his heart was he wanted to reveal his son, Paul says, to me. And Paul says there in verse 16, it was his heart to reveal his son, Jesus. Notice Paul says, in me. That is, he did this for me, Paul says. He revealed his son to me. He let me see who Jesus was. He broke through my ignorance and my hard-heartedness, and he manifested himself to me. Jesus revealed to me who he was personally. Paul had his own personal encounter with Jesus. Again, why is that important, that, that Jesus be revealed to a person? Well, let me clarify, because it's only Jesus who can save you. 
That's why you got to have your own experience with Jesus. Because only Jesus can forgive your sin. Only Jesus can give me eternal life as the eternal son of God. Only Jesus can change and transform a man like Saul of Tarsus into Paul the Apostle, a faithful, devoted servant of the Lord who has a transformed and a changed life. And so Jesus wants to reveal himself to people as he did with Paul because ultimately we need to respond to Jesus because only Jesus can do these things for us, not religion, not a pastor, not a priest. And it was upon Paul having his own encounter with the Lord Jesus. That's how he was transformed when he had a spiritual encounter with the Lord. And today, folks, that is how people Each person who's a Christian become a Christian. At some point, they have a spiritual revelation in their own way. It may not be like Saul of Tarsus' experience, but in their own way, they have an encounter with Jesus Christ. They come to recognize who Jesus is for themselves. Jesus reveals himself to them. It's something God does in a person by his spirit, illuminating this reality in their spirit. Again, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 6 regarding this, for it's God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you see what Paul's saying there? Paul's saying the same God who spoke light into darkness in creation and brought light into darkness. He says it's that same God who shines spiritual light into our dark hearts so that we can have the illumination and we can see Jesus revealed to us in us to say, oh, I see it now. I see it for myself. And that's how we ultimately have our encounter with Jesus. And God wants to reveal his son to people that they could have that kind of spiritual experience and let us know for those of us who are followers of Jesus, like Paul, who've experienced that, that's how the Lord wants to use us now through our prayers for our unsaved friends and family and fellow students and coworkers. Lord, reveal yourself to them. Lord, let them see. Do whatever it takes to reveal yourself to them. And by us living out our life, Paul's going to say in Galatians 2, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And that as you let Jesus live through you, people see Jesus. And they say, oh, I, I think I'm seeing what Jesus really is about now. And as you share your words, the gospel message, you direct people to Jesus. Paul mentions another facet of the grace of God working in his life in verse 16. He says, this salvation experience happened. Ultimately, look at verse 16, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Paul says, he called me by grace and saved me first so that, so that I might then be someone who could proclaim the same salvation message to the Gentile people. Here, Paul, no doubt, is in a sense reflecting upon the fact that there was this amazing display of grace shown to him. And Paul says, it would have been amazing if he just saved me. It would have been incredible if he just saved me. And Paul says, but to expand the extent of his grace after I was saved, he saved me so that he might ultimately use me, that he might let me be able to participate in his service. Though I didn't deserve the honor of being used, he entrusted me with that privilege. Paul, writing his pastoral epistle to young Timothy, said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who appointed me to his service. 
Though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. That is the worst. Paul went on to say this, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Do you see what Paul understood and what he's trying to convey here? He said, the Lord did this, called me through his grace, revealed a son of me so that I might then preach his gospel message to a whole world of Gentile other people who need to know grace just like I did, who need to know mercy just like I did. He says that in me first, I might be the example. Paul recognized this reality. It's almost as if he scratched his head and thought, oh my goodness, it's almost like I'm a trophy of grace and God is wanting it to be on display in the world that he can be gracious to anybody. He can forgive anybody. He can change anybody. And so he uses Paul as his trophy. You want to see how gracious I am? Look at that trophy. Look at Paul. You know who Paul was. Look at that. And to display that through our lives, and Paul was just mesmerized by this thing. He says, so powerfully was I transformed. I knew something real happened in me. That's why he says there, verse 16, I didn't immediately go and confer with flesh and blood. In other words, Paul's saying, I knew something happened inside of me on that Damascus road. I didn't need to go ask some person to validate what happened. I knew that I knew that something happened inside of me. He goes on to say in verse 17, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were the apostles before me. But I went out to Arabia and then returned again to Damascus. In other words, Paul didn't need the endorsement of the apostles to validate his salvation. He knew he was saved. He knew he had an encounter with Jesus. I also like the fact that he's saying, I didn't go up to Jerusalem, which was kind of the mother church at that time, to see the apostles. It's almost as if Paul's alluding to here in his language that, look, I didn't go up to them with my prior popularity and fame of being a very famous rebel against Christianity to say, hey, now that I'm a Christian, I want to be a Christian celebrity and tour me around Israel because everybody knows who I was. So now get me a tour started so I can tell everybody in Israel I'm a changed person. Look what Paul did. Paul says, when I was first saved, I went to Arabia. That's the desert. In other words, Paul says, I went and sought obscurity because I wasn't concerned about popularity and fame and seeking ministry as a brand new Christian. He says, I wanted to go spend time alone with God. I wanted to go get to know Jesus. I wanted to sit in a quiet place and read the scriptures and familiarize myself and get grounded spiritually and understand what had happened in me personally and what it meant to walk with the Lord as a man. Paul says, and then after verse 18, three years, in other words, for three years, Paul did this. The first three years of his Christian experience, he wasn't seeking ministry and fame. He was seeking Jesus, learning how to walk with the Lord and just get solid and grounded. That's probably why he was so effective as the future unfolded. Paul says, after three years, I then went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's 
brother, now concerning these things which I write to you, he says, indeed, before God, I do not lie. So finally, after three years, Paul goes up to Jerusalem to seek out and to speak to the apostles. He says, the first time I went was about two weeks. I spent some time with Peter. I saw James, the half-brother of our Lord. And can you imagine some of those conversations? As they swap stories of how they all came to know Jesus differently. These guys have been walking with Jesus in his ministry. And Paul probably wanted to hear all about that. Peter, James, tell me, what was that like? I mean, I missed all that. I was such a knucklehead back then. I mean, tell me what. And, and he's wanting to learn. And by the same token, he's telling them of how Jesus broke into his life and the resurrected power of his glorified form and sharing his conversion. And I imagine there's some apology going on too. Oh, I'm so sorry for what I did. How many people I hurt and, and oh, I'm just, and imagine this reconciliation was happening as they both now knew Jesus and, and were recognizing, hey, we're brothers now, we're family. Paul says, verse 21, then afterward, I then went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. And Paul's indicating how now the grace of God began then to slowly motivate him to want to start to serve the Lord. Syria and Cilicia, those regions is where the book of Acts tells us Paul's early ministry began. And we find that recorded in the book of Acts. Paul says, look, it was grace that saved me and it was grace that made me want to just seek the Lord and spend time with him. But eventually, it was also grace that started motivating me to want to serve and to begin to go into regions and let my life be useful for the Lord. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 again says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was not without effect, that is vain or not useful. But he says, I worked harder than all the rest, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Paul here is referring to how it was grace that radically changed and saved him, and then it was grace and the overwhelming experience of what he experienced personally with the grace of God that gave Paul a heart to say, I have got to serve this master. I've got to do something. And look, folks, grace is the right and the highest motive for pure-hearted ministry. Because we serve Jesus and get to serve Jesus for one reason. Grace. Grace. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I don't deserve to serve him. Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And the only way to effectively serve Jesus is by the grace he supplies to serve supernaturally so that we can be effective for him. Paul says, verse 22, and I was unknown by face to the churches of Judea, that's in the southern Israel area, which were in Christ. So Paul's alluding to how for a time he kind of stood away from the southern part of Israel and the Jewish churches in Judea right after he first got saved. Remember, Paul had caused what? A lot of hurt, right? He had caused a lot of hurt and caused a lot of confusion. And so when Paul was first saved, he knew it would be very difficult for the new believers in Judea to accept that he was truly changed. So Paul says, for a while, I kind of didn't show my face among them at first. I kind of intentionally sought to give them space and to focus on other things. He says, I kind of remained unknown because I knew some time had to elapse for them to be able to actually accept that I was a changed man. And so he says, so for a while, I kind of just refrained. I, I knew it would be difficult to see that the grace of God had made me a different man and that I wasn't who they knew me 
so many times before because I had done some rotten things in my past. And he said it was probably going to take a while for those roots to be lifted out of their hearts and for them to really come to accept he's really changed. He's really different. And so he says, I kind of sought to give them some time. And look, sometimes, I just want to say by way of application, sometimes when the Lord changes us, we need to extend grace to other people. Sometimes when the Lord does a radical work and transforms us, we need to be willing to extend grace to people who knew us before, to give them a little patience and time to accept this change and that it is real and that it's genuine. And sometimes that's something to remember, that we don't want to prematurely force them to accept the change, but let them come to have validity that it's real. And Paul says, I kind of had to do that for a while because of what had happened and how harsh I was to them in the past. He says, verse 23, look, he says, I didn't show my face, but they, verse 23, were hearing only. He who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. So people were just hearing these amazing reports, not from Paul, but they were hearing reports, this guy's been changed. He's a totally different person now. Who he was is something drastically different now. Not only is he not trying to destroy the faith, but they said, this guy's now trying to tell people to put faith in Jesus. He's now trying to tell people to accept the Lord. Can you imagine the shock in people's lives? But that's the testimony of a changed life, right? The power of transformation. People being able to see a work of grace, talking about how the Lord changed somebody. But that's what God's seeking to accomplish, folks, again and again and again and again. Life change. Powerful transformation. People who once were formerly this, and now they're this. You, Christian, once were formerly this, and now look what the Lord's done in your life. The change, the testimony of that. And Paul says, when this happened... It didn't happen again so that I could become popular or somehow, you know, he says, no, this happened that people began to glorify God in me. Paul says, when there's a genuine work of grace that happens in the life of a person, he says, you know, it doesn't cause people to begin to be enamored with the person. It causes people to get really excited about God and to go, wow, look what God did in that person's life. Look what God has the power of do. And he says, it caused people to begin to glorify God. One man said, any man powerfully touched by Jesus Christ is good publicity for the gospel. You know, this morning, what about you? Is how you're living right now and what you're doing bringing glory to God? I hope so. You know, this week ahead, may the grace of God, as we reflect upon it, motivate us to seek to see God glorified. Lord, how can I glorify you and bring glory to you by your grace?